We are in Exodus 23, and you guys know that I really, really try hard not to lord over your faith. I don't, you know, we, each of us individually, we follow the Lord, uh, and I don't want to lord over anybody's faith, and I take my cue from Paul. Uh, that's how Paul was to the people. But there are certain circumstances where I'm going to take some pastoral liberties and say, not necessarily say I'm going to lord over your faith, but very close to it. In that, whenever you read from the law, we're going to be in Exodus and then we have Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. There's a lot of aspects of the law that we're going to study in depth for Probably a long period of time. But you have to make the distinction. This is where I'm like saying, hey, this is a hardcore must. The distinction is between the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. Because I'm never going to get tired of saying this, but the letter of the law is blindness. That is spiritual blindness. The Pharisees, the scribes, the, uh, 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 the Sadducees, they followed the letter of the law. Because they were blind to the spirit of the law, they didn't have eyes to see who they were speaking to when they were condemning Jesus Christ. They didn't realize that, wow, this is the Messiah, this is the Son of God, because they followed the letter of the law. They followed the teachings of Moses via the letter of the law. When Remember, I'm, I'm never going to get tired of saying this, but you know, when Jesus Christ and the Pharisees, they were having this conversation and the Pharisees were like, yeah, we're so hardcore. We're hardcore. We follow Moses. And the Lord Jesus Christ was like, you know, how can you follow Moses when Moses wrote about me? He says, because you did not believe Moses, you know, you're not going to be able to believe these things that I say. How can you believe what I say? Because they were following the letter of the law and not the spirit of the law. Remember when the people were like, you know, Lord, what is the greatest commandment? You know, of all the law, what's the greatest law? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And then... Love others like you love yourself, as you love yourself. So it's God and other people. Not the other way around, not people and then God. If you love people more than God, that's a bad situation. Because you'll be swayed into other arenas that you ought not to dabble with. But when you love God more than people, when he's preeminent in your life, the Lordship of Jesus Christ, it's a beautiful thing in the eyes of the Lord. And remember, when we ended our study in Exodus 22, verse 31, he says, and you shall be holy men to me. God's, he, he hasn't stopped the business of desiring holiness from his people. He hasn't stopped. That's what he desires. And we're going to study that a little bit more from First Peter when he says, you know, be holy for I am holy. That's an exhortation to the church. Be holy for I am holy. How this concept of holiness, what is it? How can I even know what holiness is? You know, remember Isaiah 1, come let us reason together. It's a great invitation of the Lord. Let us reason together. And it is written Genesis to Revelation. You keep reading and then you'll understand the nature of God, the character of God. Even in the law, you'll understand the nature and character of the Lord. So here in chapter 23, verse 1 says, you shall not circulate a false report. 
And, you know, this is the commandment, commandment number nine in Exodus 20, verse 16. You know, you shall not bear false witness. And here he's talking about a false report, deceptive or ruinous and destructive. And the Lord is saying, hey, don't circulate these things, these things that are false. Remember, after the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments were given three times. The first time was in voice, in word, in speech. That's from Exodus 20. And then the people, you know, in Exodus 20, you don't have to turn there. But then the people in Exodus 20, verse 19 says, or in verse 18 says, Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you. And that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. You see, the desire of the Lord is that we not sin. You say like, man, that's impossible. And the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But that doesn't mean we throw in the towel and say, well, since the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, I'm going to throw in the towel and, you know, beat on my wife and cheat on my wife and go back to the crack pipe. It doesn't work that way. But yet we can sin less and less and less and less as we move on to perfection. And the, and the Lord says here, continuing still in verse one, do not put your hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. This is an Old Testament example of a little leaven that leavens the bunch. There was that issue that came that arose in the church in Corinth. The church in Corinth. And Paul even says, he says, you know, I wish I could speak to you as adults, but since you're on milk, I have to speak to you like you guys are little babies. You know, I don't think Paul would be well received in today's culture. Someone might receive an email from from Paul or a text message from Paul and saying, hey, I can't speak to you like an adult. I got to speak to you like you're a little kid. Someone would reply, oh, I'm so offended. I'm so offended. Remember, the words of our Lord said, blessed is blessed are those who are not offended because of me. And there's something very offensive about truth. And, you know, it's it's how the Lord changes us, our carnal nature. It's how we're transformed by renewing of our minds. A little leaven leavens the bunch. And then also bad company corrupts good character. That's from 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33. Bad company corrupts good character. And it's true that, you know, the world has its fair share of wickedness. You can look around the world and see wickedness all over the place. But you know what I say? Don't be a part of it. When your friends say, hey, I got some, you know, fine cocaine. Let's go snort it. You can say, no, thank you. I'm a Christian. I don't do that anymore. I don't go to the strip clubs anymore. I don't go to the bars anymore. That's the old nature, the one who's who's dead. When you have reckoned the old man dead. Or the old woman did. So yes, there's wickedness all around us. Wickedness all around us. All over the place. But just don't be a part of it. 
And that's what the Lord is saying to the people here. Do not put your hand with the wicked to be unright to be an unrighteous witness, to place value in your witness before the Lord. What is your witness before the Lord? What's your witness? Sometimes you don't even have to say words, but your witness speaks loud and clear. And praise be to the Lord. That's the handiwork of God in our lives. And he says in verse two, you shall not follow a crowd to do evil. If you remember in Matthew seven, I'm going to read from Matthew seven. You can put your finger here in Exodus. But in Matthew seven, verse 13, this is what the Lord says. Enter by the narrow gate. Enter by the narrow gate. Straight up red letters in my Bible. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. I'm not trying to say that the Christian life is a piece of cake. It can be with the power of the Holy Spirit. But that doesn't mean that you will not face trials and tribulations. You certainly will. We certainly will as a body individually. The closer your walk is with the Lord, the more obedient you are with the Lord. You know, something's going to happen where, you know, you're going to have big crosshairs on your back. Right on your forehead, the enemy wants to take you out. And there's another side of pain. The other side of pain, the other side of tribulation, the other side of hardships is glory. When the Christian receives his or her glorified body. I say his or her on this side of eternity because there's, you know, there's no more like, you know, like our glorified body. There's no more marriage. It's not like you're going to have a a wife and kids in your glorified body. No, it's over. We're going to be like the angels. That's what the Bible teaches. And it's so cool because remember the narrow path, the narrow way. And you think like, man, it's so hard to live a holy life, to live a righteous life. Well, that's why the Lord says, I'm going to give you the helper, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's the means by which we're able to live the Christian life. And so, yes, the world is wicked. wicked, wickedness abounds. But don't forget that the Bible says that grace abounds much more. Don't be a partaker of these things. And when he says in verse two, you sh- going back to Exodus 23 and verse two, you shall not follow a crowd to do evil. You know, look at the multitudes. Look at the multitudes on the wide way, the wide path. But then, you know, the narrow way is the, the road of a Christian. It's been said before that dead fish go with the flow. Oh, yeah, I'm just going to partake of this. No big deal. Take advantage of God's grace. Yeah, I'll go ahead and do this and then just repent in the morning or repent on Sunday. It doesn't work that way. Dead fish go with the flow. He says, nor shall you testify in a dispute so as to turn aside after many to pervert justice. Turn aside after many translates in the Hebrew as to bow down to the majority to bow down to the majority and the lord is addressing people who desire to be man pleasers you know man this is behavior of a man pleaser don't be a man pleaser be a god pleaser that's why people when they say oh yeah 
love other people, love other people. It's not a bad thing. You know, it's biblical to love other people. But don't forget, number one, the preeminence of Jesus Christ is God. Number one is always God. Because if you love people more than God, truth will be perverted. The multitudes will go one way and you'll want to go with them. Reminds me of Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah. All the people were like, oh, we're of the elect, Jeremiah. Why do, you know, you speak about these things, you prophesy about these things. No, we're going to believe these prophets. And Jeremiah goes back to the Lord. So what, what do I do, Lord? And the Lord says, you know what? Leave them alone. They're going to go to their prophets, but their prophets don't speak to me. I don't speak to them. I'm speaking to you, Jeremiah. That's why they call Jeremiah the weeping prophet, the lonely prophet, because he was lonely. There's a solitude, a loneliness that comes with righteousness, which is beautiful. It's a good thing because in that solitude, you're not alone. You're with the Lord. And so he says, nor shall you testify in a dispute as to turn aside or bow down to the majority to pervert justice. You see how justice can be perverted? That's what happens when there are man pleasers. He says in verse three, you shall not show partiality to a poor man in his dispute. No favoritism. No favoritism to the poor when the poor is wrong, when they are completely and totally wrong. You know, I have to say something too about sensitivities and emotions. A lot of times emotions come into play. If you ever have a conversation with like a judge, a good judge, you know, a good judge is going to be a discerner of the law and apply justice to whatever situation. But then when you get involved with emotions and you get involved with sensitivities, it's like, oh, yeah, I'll go ahead. And, you know, what would it say about a judge if somebody committed a murder and the murder was, you know, the judge was like, oh, no big deal. You spent a week in jail. No big deal. Go ahead. You're free. That's corrupt justice. And remember, I'm speaking about the law. There's something to be said about compassion. The Lord says it in the Old Testament and then also in the New Testament. Compassion. So as much as we're looking at the law, I'm not trying to elevate the law over the gospel of Jesus Christ. But to look at the law, to examine and see, Lord, what is your heart? Remember the Bible teaches God never changes. Culture changes, but God never changes. And so he says, you shall not show partiality to a poor man in his dispute. When there's wrong, rich, poor, it doesn't matter. Hey, justice needs to be delivered. That's why when you see statues outside a courthouse, you'll see like, you know, a, a, a lady with a scale and then a sword. It was a scale in one hand and then a sword in another hand and a big old bind around her eyes. Because justice is blind. Justice is supposed to be blind. What is the wrong that is committed? And that's what the Lord is dealing with here in the law. And we as new covenant believers, believers in Jesus Christ, we know that all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. Which really elevates the necessity of a savior. 
redemption. <clears throat> People say, oh, you Christians, you think that we should stone homosexuals? You think that we should stone uh, somebody who's, you know, uh, uh, like, you know, committed this sin? Should we stone that person? It's to say, you have it all wrong. I should be stoned for my sin. That's why I love Jesus Christ so much. Because he took the, he took the penalty upon him, upon himself. He paid the price. A lot of times people get on their Christian high horses. You know, and that's the danger of the law. You start to read the law and it's like, oh, I'm going to do this now. I'm going to do this now. I'm going to do this. Or I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. Which is, a, it's not a bad thing when it correlates with New Covenant teachings. Because we are a people of the New Testament, New Covenant believers. There's this big movement called the Hebrew Roots Movement. When people who are Christians and then they go back to the law, which isn't a good thing. Paul says that to the church in Galatia. He says if righteousness could come to the law, then Jesus Christ died in vain. You know, it's craziness to go back to the law. It's leaving the gospel. It's leaving Jesus Christ. It's backwards theology. And so he says here in verse 4, He says, if you see the donkey of one who hates you lying under its burden. Oh, I mean, in verse four, in verse four, if you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall surely bring it back to him again. So the letter of the law says, OK, in this situation, this is what you have to do. But the spirit of the law says, hey, this guy is your enemy. Your enemy. And his ox or his donkey is going astray. What are you going to do about it? And the spirit of the law says, you know what? Put your feelings aside and help him out, even though he's your enemy. It's an Old Testament example of loving your enemies. Loving your enemies. That's the spirit of the law. What we, what we studied a little bit last week in Romans chapter 7, verse 6. Even when this person is your enemy. You see, it's a, it's a completely radical concept. Lord, how am I going to love my enemy? When this guy punches me on the right side, how am I going to turn the other cheek and say, here, hit this one too? It's impossible without the Holy Spirit. Many people try, many people fail. It's impossible without the Holy Spirit. You might be able to go a year Maybe two years, but you won't be able to go for the rest of your life. You won't be able to endure because that's called religion. It's not about religion. It's about relationship, oneness with Jesus Christ. And in the law, he's speaking about, you know, having a heart for your enemy. Help him out. In verse five, it's the same thing. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying under its burden, you know, so it's like the, the donkey is overburdened, has too much weight on his back. The load is too heavy. And then he says, and you would refrain from helping it. You shall surely help him with it. So in the carnal nature, you think like, man, I'm not going to help this guy. This guy hates me. Why should I help him? But even in the law, the Lord is saying, hey, help this guy out. Help this person out. 
another Old Testament example of loving enemies, loving our enemies, the one who hates you. Love them. That's the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law. The spirit of the law says, love your enemies. That's why, like, you know, there weren't a lot of uh, Pharisees that believed in Jesus Christ. Nicodemus was one. He was a little bit slow, but Nicodemus was one. Kind of afraid of the multitudes because, you know, in John chapter 3, he goes and visits Jesus Christ at night, late at night, where nobody's watching. I'm going to go talk to Jesus Christ. And he's like, what do you mean born again? How can a man go back into his mother's womb? It's physically impossible. And then the Lord is like, do you not know? You're a teacher of the law and you don't know these things. I love that so much because the Lord has this expectation for these teachers to know these things. And not all of them did. And then he started speaking to, to Nicodemus about being born again. Spiritually being born again, alive in Christ. You see, this is straight up in the Old Testament. You have passages that refer to the gospel. Loving your enemies. In verse 6, you shall not pervert the judgment or of the uh, you shall not pervert the judgment of your poor in his dispute. So like verse 3 says you shall not show partiality to a poor man in his dispute, and in verse 6 says you shall not pervert the judgment of your poor in his dispute. So it's you show like verse 6 says don't show verse 3 says don't show partiality, and verse 6 says if you do show partiality, it's not a good thing. It's a perversion of justice. It's to be fair with justice. You know, for, you know, in like dispute, say like a, a family dispute. Say you have a rich friend and then a poor friend. And, you know, the poor friend did, did wrong. And it's like, okay, you got to be fair with the poor guy and say, hey, you know, this is the penalty for what you did. Let's settle this. Or if the rich guy, you know, he helps you out, buys you a new car, buys you all these fancy things, takes you to the finest restaurants, you know, pays all your bills. It's like, man, I'm going to I'm going to show partiality with this rich guy because I get stuff out of it. That's not loving God and it's not loving others. It's loving yourself. That's the spirit of the law, which reveals these things. The letter of the law says, okay, I'll go ahead and do this. I'll go ahead and do that. But the spirit of the law is like the why behind it. I have to put my desires. I have to put me on the back burner. Number one is the Lord. Number two is other people. This is like straight up in the law. He says in verse seven, keep yourself far from a false matter. Again, this false matter, it's, it's described in the Hebrew as deceitful, a sham, and untrue. Deceitful, a sham, and untrue. And the Lord is saying, keep yourself far from that. You know, have you ever met somebody that is fraudulently getting their uh, disability checks? Oh, yeah, I'm disabled, you know. My doctor said I have a, a little mental condition, so, you know, it's okay. I have PTSD. Oh, you have PTSD? Oh, what, what happened? Oh, you know, my dad cussed me out once. I went to the therapist. He said I had PTSD, gave me a slip, and, you know, I turned that into the government, and now I get my disability checks. It's fraud. 
And the Lord is saying, keep yourself far from a false matter. Or you talk to business owners who say, oh, yeah, I have 10 employees. I have 30 employees. And say, oh, let me see your, your, your tax documents. Oh, I don't have any. I thought you said you had 30 employees. Oh, I do, but I pay them under the table. That's fraud. It's a false matter. <clears throat> the Lord sees it. You know, you pay under the table because you don't want to pay taxes. You don't want to report income. And it's all fraud. The Lord sees it all. And in the law, the Lord says, hey, run away from these things. Remember the people of God here, Israel, is Israel. They are fresh out of Egypt. The Exodus is like straight up. It's the Lord is making a difference between his people. He's changing them. He's setting them apart. He is consecrating the people to himself. And he's saying, hey, this is my law. This is what you have to do. You think like, man, what a bunch of rules. Well, praise be to the Lord. But because for us today, as new covenant believers, all we have to do is abide in Christ, the one who fulfills the law. The fulfiller of the law and the prophets, the Lord says, abide in me and I in you. And when we abide in Christ, it's like, wow, you know what? I'm good to go. I'm good to go. In no way, shape, or form am I advocating the performance of the law and doing the law. In no way, shape, or form. Only to illustrate that the fulfiller of the law, that all these things, the, the things of the law, are a shadow of the things to come. And I'm speaking about Jesus Christ. And you know what's so cool here? He says... Keep yourself far from a false matter. And, you know, we live in a generation today where you see fraud all over the place. You see these deceitful matters all over the place, the shams, the, the things that are untrue. Fraudulent. And the Lord doesn't like it. He says, do not kill the innocent and the righteous. You know, like little babies, little kids, like the, the the, the purest form of innocence, you know, in the flesh I'm speaking now, is like a little baby, you know, like fresh out of the hopper, so to speak. You know, it's like, man, this little baby hasn't been exposed to anything of the world except uh, like a, a, the doctor's room or, you know, wherever you have your babies. You know, It's like no exposure to the things of the world. But what's so sad is like this little child is going to grow up in a world of corruption. And, you know, speaking spiritually as a son of Adam is going to grow up into that lineage of Adam. Sin is it's part of the condition of man. It's also speaking supernaturally, that's being born again. When somebody received Jesus Christ as a personal Lord and Savior in a love relationship, that's being born again. It's like, wow, you know what? I'm alive in Christ. But you see this young child who's growing up in a world of corruption and in their heart is corruption itself. It's like, man, you know, to, to train up a child in the way he should go, teach the next generation about Jesus Christ. And even adults, you know, Liz and I were watching the news the other day. Last night, in fact, and this realtor, she almost got raped 
And the guy was like, yeah, you know, I want to go inside. You can show me the house. But, you know, she was getting some weird vibes about him, you know, and he was going to rape her. And he attacked her right there outside the house. And the news reporter was asking her after it was all said and done. The news reporter was asking her, hey, are you going to be a realtor anymore? And the lady was like, I don't know. I'm not, you know, it was like, it's so sad because, you know, this lady has this desire to, you know, enter the real estate business and, you know, earn income, make a living out of it. But now because of this act of this other guy, the innocence of it all is just shattered. Her sense of security gone. And she's going to have to alter her life now because of that. So it happens with kids, but it also happens with adults. It's like outside of Christ, you're moving further and further and further away from innocence. Inside of Christ, you're, it's like the purest form of innocence, spiritually speaking now. That's why the Bible says, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Every thought, put it under lock and key. Put it under lock and key in your mind. Take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, think on these things, meditate on these things. You know, people say like, oh yeah, this guy murdered this guy. This guy raped another girl. You know, this guy's, you know, high as a, 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 higher than a kite, you know, on whatever, the latest drug out there. But you know what, spiritually speaking, that's the aftermath of sin. That's that's the fruit of sin. If you hit the rewind button in that person's life, prior to the actual act of that sin, what was going on in his or her mind? A mind that was not taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. A mind that was thinking about worldly things, a mind that was dwelling on, you know, disgusting things. That's the difference. You could look at two different people, two different people, what's going on in their mind. That's why the Lord says, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That's the life of a Christian. You know, it's one thing to repent for actions, and behaviors, Lord, forgive me. I didn't mean to, you know, I had a little road rage. And, you know, I, I, I hated that lady. You know, I murdered her in my heart. Lord, forgive me. Or what if you actually do commit murder? You can say, Lord, I repent. Forgive me. And you're going to have to pay the price of that, you know, spend some time in the big house. But then at the same time, it's to say, wow, Lord, when you start repenting for things in your mind, that's a beautiful thing. You get closer and closer and closer to the root of sin. And then you find that you get closer and closer to your very heart, your very mind. Then finally, it's like, Lord, you know what? Complete and total surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And he gives you the helper, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. To where you don't even want those. Like, you know, you might be a crack addict. Like, I don't even want the crack anymore. You might have been, you know, really like the sexual lifestyle. It's like, man, I don't even like it anymore. You might have like, you know, had like, you know, uh, whatever vice it was. But when the Lord changes your heart and changes your mind and in obedience, you take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Whatever is lovely, whatever is pure, you meditate on these things. 
I mean, I like to say, put on your seatbelt because the Lord is at work. And here we're talking about the law. In verse seven, when he says, do not kill the innocent and the and righteous, for I will not justify the wicked. I will not justify the wicked. This is straight up in the Bible. I will not justify the wicked. Now, I know that sounds scary. If you're like me, that's a scary verse. Like what in the world? I mean, sometimes I read the Bible and it's like the Lord reveals like, man, you know, this is wicked in my eyes. You keep reading. This is wicked in my eyes. And you're like, whoa, that's me. I, you know, that was me last week. That was me two months ago. You know what you do when that happens? You repent. Repent. Immediately repent. Fall to your knees and repent. Now, you know, when he says, I shall, I will not justify the wicked. Turn with me really quick to Jeremiah chapter 8. Or chapter 18. Jeremiah 18. In Jeremiah 18 verse 7. This is the Lord is speaking through the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah 18 verse 7. The instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up, to pull down and destroy it. If that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil or repents, I will relent of the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. So you think like, wow, you know, the Lord is saying that, you know, concerning a kingdom that he's going to pluck it up and pull it down and destroy it. But then if that nation repents, the Lord says, I will relent. I'm not going to do what I said I was going to do because they repented. But then the opposite is also true in verse nine. And the instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it. You think like, wow, that's a beautiful thing. Verse 10. If it does evil in my sight so that it does not obey my voice, then I will relent concerning the good with which I said I would benefit it. So the opposite is also true. If the Lord says that, wow, he's going to build up this nation and plant it, but then that nation does evil in his sight and does not obey the Lord, the Lord says, okay, I'm not going to bless you anymore. It applies to nations, it applies to peoples, and it applies to individuals. That's why I don't get how people can say, you know, God predestined this to happen. God predestined, you know, God predestines people to heaven and he predestines people to hell. I don't believe that at all. You know why? Because these verses, the word of God says otherwise. If that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent. Everything hinges on repentance. Repentance. You say like, how do I repent? Humility. Pride will prevent you from repenting. That's what pride does. Humility. Oh, man, it's so beautiful because you'll fall to your knees. Lord, forgive me. So, you know, we look at these passages in the law going back to Exodus 23. When he says, I will not justify the wicked in verse 7. And you know what I say? Repent. If you're like, man, you know, my works, the work of my hands, you know, every place I've been, everything I've done, it's wickedness. Repent. Repent. In verse 8, and you shall take no bribe, 
No bribe. For a bribe blinds the discerning and perverts the words of the righteous. Blinds the discerning translates in the Hebrew. It says blinds the intelligent and the wise. That's what a bribe does. I've spoken to pastors before. A pastor who says, you know, Jay, this is my opinion about this matter. And we're going to go ahead and we're going to do this. It's like, okay. And then you talk with another guy in the church. You know, I don't like the direction this is going. You know, I tithe, you know, $70,000 a year. You know, over $100,000 a year. So I'm going to have a talk with the pastor. And then like a couple weeks later, you talk to the pastor. It's, well, why'd you change your mind? Oh, the Lord is leading me in this direction. The Lord, no, it's not man is. You're a man pleaser. You're not a God pleaser. You're a man pleaser. That's what bribes do. Bribes do. In verse eight, he says, you shall take no bribe for a bribe blinds the discerning or blinds the intelligent and the wise and perverts the words of the righteous. The righteous person is compromised. That's what bribery does. The righteous person is compromised. You know, it's such a trip. You know, it's like, don't be a, a, a man pleaser. Be a God pleaser. Someone says, oh, you know, how is the church doing financially? Who, you know, who cares? The Lord's going to take care of the church. The Lord's going to take care of his church. You know, uh, people who obey and abide in Christ, who feed upon the truth of God's holy word. God is going to protect his people. He hasn't stopped doing that. He does that Old Testament and New Testament. He hasn't stopped. People say, oh, yeah, you know, I'll come to your church. I'll make these big contributions. Oh, yeah. By the way, I don't like it when you teach about this. I don't like it when you teach about this. That's nice. We just go to the Bible. But pride will say, no, I don't like that. I'm going to go heap up for myself these teachers who will whisper sweet nothings in my ear. Humility will follow along with the Bible and say, man, this is heavy, heavy stuff. And then humility will also say, repent, Lord, forgive me. It's how we're transformed by renewing of our minds. He says this in verse nine. When you hear me say he says this, it's God speaking to Moses. Moses is writing this stuff down. I shouldn't say this stuff, but Moses is writing the words of the Lord down. You know, so like when when the, when I said that the, they received the Ten Commandments three times, the first time was in chapter 20 when they received it verbally. But then in chapter 21, verse one says, now these are the judgments which you shall set before them or the decrees and statutes. So the Lord is telling Moses, hey, these are the laws that I have for your people, for Israel, for my people. And so the second time they receive the law is when Moses come down, comes down from the mountain and he sees the people worshiping the golden calf. And the people worshiping the calf, they say, wow, this is the calf. This is the God who rescued us out of, out of bondage. And all kinds of sexual sin, orgies, it's disgusting. And then Moses destroys the Ten Commandments, the two tablets. And then after a period of repentance, the Lord says, okay, Moses, come back to the mountain. I'm going to give you the two tablets again. So the, the law is given, the Ten Commandments is given three times. The first verbally, the second time is with the two tablets, which were destroyed. And then the, the third time is with the two tablets. The second version. I shouldn't say the second version, but after the second one, after the 
the, the original two tablets. So when he says in verse 9, he says, also, also, you shall not oppress a stranger or a foreigner, for you know the heart of a stranger because you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You know, remember where you came from. Remember where you came from. Because the reason why I say that is because sometimes Christians can get on their high horses and be like, wow, you know, you know, just on a high horse where like, I'm not a partaker of this, that, that, which isn't a bad thing. But to have compassion for the people that are stuck in these lifestyles. Because remember from whence you came. Remember. God did the work in you. And he can do it in other people too. And before you think like, wow, you know, that's so cool. You know, I'm going to go ahead and, you know, be friends with these uh, alcoholics. Be friends with these, you know, prostitutes. Be friends with these drug dealers. Be wise, too. Don't be stupid. Be wise. If you're involved in sexual sin and then the Lord heals you, it's not to say, hey, go and befriend like, you know, 10 prostitutes. Because you're going to fall. Be wise. Don't be stupid. We're called to be wise. We're called to be loving. We're called to be holy people. We're called to be gracious and merciful. Something we're not called to be is stupid. Apply wisdom. The wisdom of God's holy word. So many times people will say, oh yeah, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fulfill the, the attributes of a Christian lifestyle and you know, befriend all these people. Which isn't a bad thing. Make sure you're firmly planted on the rock of salvation. Because remember, Satan's a fisherman too. Satan evangelizes too. You say, oh yeah, I'm going to go work in this drug ministry. I'm going to go work in this sex ministry and help these people. And then come to find, you're now a prostitute. You're now a drug dealer. So be wise. Wise as serpents and peaceful as doves. In verse 10. Six years... You shall sow your land and gather in its produce. But the seventh year, you shall let it rest and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat and what they leave and what they leave and what they leave the beasts of the field may eat in like manner. You shall do with your vineyard and your olive grove. Verse 10 and 11 I have fallen in love with in deeper because it's like, okay, here's what the Lord is saying. You know, it's kind of like a mini what, what the Lord did to Egypt uh, with Joseph and how there was famine in the land. But prior to the famine, the Lord used Joseph to bless Egypt. You see like, wait a second. I thought you said that Egypt was judged. Yes, they were judged. You know why? Because they turned their back on the Lord. They forgot the Lord. There was a new Pharaoh and then a new generation that forgot the Lord. And they said, wow, these Hebrew people, they are our enemies. He says, six years you shall, shall sow your land and gather in its produce. You know, it, it says, but the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow. Translates as untouched, uncultivated. Leave it alone on the seventh year. And I was reading these articles, these like farmers, they were writing these blogs and they were saying how they cordon off an area of their crops and just, you know, let it die and then let the crops die. And then the animals come and they, you know, they go to the bathroom there too. It's like natural fertilizer. 
and it's a way to restore the land. It's a farming technique to restore and fertilize the crops. But this aspect of it is an additive. You know what the, the primary purpose is? It's people first. People first. He says in verse 11, like in the middle, that the poor of your people may eat. And what they leave, the beasts of the field may eat. So like the animals, they eat it and they're going to fertilize. It says, in like manner, you shall do with your vineyard and your olive grove. And I'll tell you why I have fallen in love with verse 10 and 12 so much. Because in verse 10 and 11, the Lord shows the long-term circular blessing. Six years, you shall sow your land and gather in its produce. But the seventh year, leave it alone. Don't touch it. And in the seventh year, you know, and the Lord could have ended it right there. The Lord could have said, six years, you shall sow your land and gather in its produce. But the seventh year, you shall let it rest and lie fallow, period. End of story. He could have. But he said, Moses, write this stuff down. Write this, jot this down. He continued that the poor of your people may eat and what they leave the beasts of the field may eat. So you see the circular blessings of it. For if we were in Old Testament times and we apply this law is to say, wow, you know, my crop is being restored. In the seventh year, I'm not, I'm not going to touch it. Poor people can go there and get their corn, get their grain for it so they can make bread or do whatever, you know. And then when they're done with it, the beasts of the field, the animals are going to come. They're going to, you know, do their business on the ground and it's going to fertilize the ground. And it's like restoration. So like the circular blessings of it, it's like, wow, it's reciprocal blessings for me. But then at the same time, it's blessings for the poor people and it's blessings for the animals. And like verse 11, the latter part of that, the Lord, he doesn't have to explain himself. He could have put a period right there. The seventh year you shall let the you shall let it rest and lie fallow. Period. He could have, but he didn't. You know, I'm not gonna sound like you know, you know it. The Lord doesn't have to explain Himself at all, but yet He did, and at the same time He still does. Genesis to Revelation, He still explains Himself. Remember Isaiah 1, when the Lord says, come and let us reason together. It's a great invitation. You could have the hardest heart and it's like, okay, you know, I get this. You know, like he says, come, let us reason together. It's like, okay, I'm going to start reading the Bible. And remember, the Holy Bible is spiritually discerned. You can't read it as literature. You can try to read it as literature, but you're not going to understand it. But it is spiritually discerned. The Holy Spirit will help you. And so he says this. Six days you shall do your work. And on the seventh day you shall rest. That your ox and your donkey may rest. And the son of your female servant and the stranger may be refreshed. Remember, these are our people who are slaves in Egypt. Straight up, slaves in Egypt. And, you know, it's such a trip because it's like this concept of a day of rest, this concept of the Sabbath. Like, what is it? You know, I used to, you know, work my tail off. But now the Lord is saying that I have a day of rest. Yes, there's a day of rest. 
And no disrespect to, you know, you, you take like at the end when he says, and the son of your female servant and the stranger may be refreshed. It's like the lowest common denominator. Not to, you know, place lower value on women. But I meant like if I was a slave owner and I had like, you know, a bunch of guys that were like strong as ox. It'd be like, wow, you know, I could do a lot of work with these guys. I could get a lot done with these guys. I could build and do all these things with them. But then if I had these women, it's like, okay, you know, maybe you guys can help over here. I'm, no offense, but I mean, that's how I would think about it. But it's so cool because it's like the lowest common denominator is, and the son of your female servant and the stranger. It was like, you remember, like the stranger is like a non like non-Jewish person. They weren't real, they weren't seen as, I mean, they weren't Jews, but they were placed in very low value. That's why the Lord is saying, hey, don't oppress the stranger. Don't oppress the foreigner. But you take this lowest common denominator being the, uh, uh, the foreigner or the stranger. And the Lord is saying, hey, I want to refresh them. I want refreshing for the stranger. You know, I want refreshment for the, your female servant and her son so they can have a day of rest and spend time together. You know, you have... You know, just like in the world today, you have bosses that are, you know, stupid to their employees. They treat their employees like dirt. And then, you know, the employees are oppressed. But then at the same time, you have other employers who honor the Lord and they treat their employees fairly. You know, it speaks if we we're going back into these days of the law, it speaks very highly of the master. Who is the one who is the master of this field when the workers are very happy to work for them, work for the owner? And instead of being a servant, remember, like we studied a couple of chapters ago, the servant can say, yeah, I served my time. And you know what? I'm free to go now. And then the master opens the door of the house and says, OK, you're free to go. Go ahead and go. You've done your obligation. But then that servant says, no, master, I don't want to go. I love you. I have fallen in love with you, master. And you know what? I want to stay in, in your home. I want to help you out. Use me. And so the master says, okay, you know, I've given you the opportunity to go. But since you want to be my servant forever, then here, put your ear on the doorpost and let me make a hole in your ear. And then I give you a little earring. And so like if we were invited to dinner at a master's house and you look at all the staff and they all have earrings in their right ear. It speaks very highly of the master. Whoa, these people aren't servants anymore. They're bond servants. These are people who have fallen in love with their master. They love him. That's why Paul says, I'm a bond servant of Christ. Who among us today can say, I'm a bond servant of Christ? Yeah, we have tremendous freedom in Christ. You know, and, the, and Paul, Peter, James, they say, don't use your freedom as excuse for sin. Don't use it as vice for sin. But be a bondservant. Say, acknowledge your freedom in Christ, but say, Lord, not my will, thy will. The very same way Jesus Christ does, how he did it to his father. Let this cup pass from me, but yet not my will, thy will. You see how the Lord works? It's so awesome because remember, paradise lost happened in Genesis. Paradise gained happens in Revelation. You see the tree of life in Genesis, how the Lord restricts 
Adam and Eve from getting close, just banish them out. Because if they partook of the tree of life, they would be eternally banished. But yet you see the tree of life in Revelation again. And it's the Lord who says, come and eat freely of this fruit. The tree of life, eternity with the Lord. And so he says in verse 13, and in all that I have said to you, be circumspect, which translates in the Hebrew as to be on guard, to be on watch, like a military term. And make no mention of the name of other gods, nor let it be heard from your mouth. You see, remember, God is a jealous God. You say like, wow, piece of cake, right? You know, I'm a Christian. I'm not going to worship Buddha. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to worship, you know, uh, Muhammad. You know, I'm a Christian. I'm not going to do all these things. Don't forget that the people of God, several days later, they're worshiping a golden calf. The same thing can happen to you or it can happen to me if we permit it to happen. If we take advantage of God's grace. If we transgress and trespass. That's what happens when it's like, yeah, I'll go ahead and do this sin. I'll go ahead and, you know, partake of this sexual sin and I'll just repent later. I'll go ahead and get high and hang out with my alcoholic friends and get drunk and get stupid. And then, you know, I'll just repent after the fact and then I'll go worship the Lord on Sunday. Or it's ladies night, you know, I'm going to go clubbing, you know, I'm married, you know, but I'll let these guys hit on me and, you know, I might do some other stuff and, you know, I'll just repent on Sunday. That's what's happening inside the church today. It's happening. And these things can happen to like a couple days after this, in this particular moment in Exodus. Several days after, the people are worshiping a golden calf. You think like, well, not me, not me. Well, abide in Christ. Abide in Christ. Take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, meditate on these things. And those are the building blocks to righteousness. You know, let the Lord do his work in your life. Let him have every area of your heart. You invite, you know, picture inviting Jesus Christ into your house. And you say, okay, come on and sit down on the couch. And the Lord says, you know, what's in that closet over there? Oh, nothing, Lord, you know. that's I keep my secret stash of stuff in there. Don't worry about it, Lord. You can't go in there. I don't want you to go in there. Well, if that's the case, you can't call Jesus Christ Lord. Because if he's Lord, it's to say, you know what? Go through the closets, go through the cabinets, go through the drawers. You want to rip out some cabinets? Go for it. You want to take out, you know, this fine china? You want to destroy it? You know, you're the Lord. Do whatever you want. That's what happens inside of our heart. You can say, Lord, you know, do whatever you want with me. Have your way with me. Or you can say, Lord, have your way with me, but just on Sundays from, you know, for this two-hour block, have your way with me. But then after that, I'm going to go get high. After that, I'm going to go get drunk. After that, I'm going to go beat on my wife and cheat on my wife. It doesn't work that way. It does not work that way. And you know what? It happens here. It says in verse 14, Three times you shall keep a feast to me in the year. 
He says in verse 15, you shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. This is what we're studying in the book of Matthew. In Matthew, around, you know, Matthew 20 to 20, actually that whole, till the end of the book of Matthew. It's Passover week. The feast of unleavened bread. You shall eat unleavened bread seven days as I commanded you at the time appointed in the month of Abib. It is the month of Nisan in the Hebrew calendar. For in it, you came out of Egypt None shall appear before me empty. That's why Jesus Christ, when he's speaking to the people, he says, you know, if you eat of my flesh, you will not die. And the people following the letter of the law, they were, what is he talking about? Is he, does he want us to be cannibals? How can we eat his flesh? But the spirit of the law, he was, remember, the word became flesh. He was speaking to consume everything that comes out of his mouth. Every teaching that he has for us, consume it all. He was speaking to the Pharisees about the manna. He says, your fathers ate manna in the desert, except they died. They're dead. He says, I have bread that if you eat, you know, it's the bread of heaven. The bread of life. You need to eat of this bread of life. But the Pharisees, following the letter of the law, they were blind. Following the spirit of the law. I mean, it's so cool. when we, We're going to get to the book of Acts pretty soon on a Sunday. And you're going to see the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And you're going to see the disciples. You know, Jesus, they, they all fled Jesus Christ. Jesus, There was zero with him. They all fled and forsook him. But then he arose again. He was alive. And they didn't believe it. You know, Thomas was like, I'm not going to believe it unless I put my finger in his side and I see him with my own eyes. I'm not going to believe that he's alive. And then on the eighth day from when he said that, Jesus Christ appeared to them. And he says, Thomas, come over here. You see this hole right here on my side? Put your finger right there. And Thomas was like, whoa. And he believed. He's like, I believe now. And the Lord was like, you believe now because you have seen. He said, blessed are those who believe and have not seen me. That's you and me. Today, this feast of unleavened, unleavened bread is symbolic of Jesus Christ, symbolic of things to come. And they killed him during this feast of unleavened bread, the Passover week. In the Old Testament, unleavened bread, you know, they eat the unleavened bread. And then there was the Exodus for you and me today. We eat the unleavened bread, capital U, capital B. I'm speaking about Jesus Christ. We eat the unleavened bread and we have an exodus from bondage. The same exact way Israel did exodus from bondage after eating the unleavened bread. Um, you know, leaven is symbolic for sin. Bread without sin. That's why Jesus Christ, the bread of life, was without sin. You eat of him. And I'm speaking about the word of God. You eat of him. Every jot, every tittle, you read everything. The good, the bad, the ugly. And you know, there's some ugly passages of scripture. Ugly, ugly passages. Especially when you see what, what people get involved with. Sinful, sinful things. Things that are of the occult. Witch, the witch of Endor. It's like, what are you guys doing? What's happening here? But then at the same time, there's some parts that are very difficult to read when it hits you like a knife in your heart. These are beautiful moments where you fall to your knees and you repent. You eat of the bread of life, Jesus Christ, everything from the word of God. 
And then he says in verse 16, and the feast of the harvest, which translates in the Hebrew as katsir, katsir in the Hebrew. You know what it translates to in the Greek? Pentecost, Pentecost, which means the 50th. Pentecost is like the 50th. You know, something beautiful happens 50 days after. You know, this Feast of the Harvest, it was 50 days after the Passover. And Jesus Christ, you know, he he rose from the dead. We haven't got there yet, but we're going to get there on a Sunday. But Jesus Christ, he rose from the dead. He spent 40 days with the disciples, walking with them for 40 days. And then he, he ascends into heaven. And we're going to study that when we get to Acts. He ascends into heaven. And then before he went, he says, you know, go wait over here and for the Holy Spirit to fall upon you. Ten days later, they're in a house. And then t- tongues of fire fall upon them. That's in Acts chapter 2. That's 50 days from the day he rose from the dead. So all these, like the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Harvest, or, you know, the Katsir or Pentecost, all of these are a shadow of the things to come. You see how beautiful, I wonder how Paul is, like, you know, I can't wait to meet Paul, because it's like, wow, Paul, you know, like, when when the Lord revealed all these things to you, were you just totally blown away? He's like, you have no idea. You have no idea at all, you know. Pass the ham, you know, I don't know what he said. He said in verse 16, and the feast of the harvest, the first fruits of your labors, which you have sown in the field and the feast of ingathering. Now, the feast of ingathering is Sukkot in the Hebrew. Translates as the feast of tabernacles or the feast of booths. Booths. It's where, you know, and we're going to not to get ahead of myself, but this is in Deuteronomy 16. It's where the people would appear before the Lord, not empty-handed. They would bring offerings to the Lord at a place of the Lord's choosing. The Lord would reveal to the high priest, hey, you know what? You guys go over here now. And then the people would appear there at a place of his choosing, and they would receive his blessings. And in Deuteronomy 16, verse 15 says, you shall surely rejoice. He's just going to blow the people away. This is how I'm blessing you. You know, it's symbolic of the second coming of Christ, the Feast of Tabernacles. All these feasts are a shadow of the things to come. He says, and the Feast of Ingathering, at the end of the year when you have gathered in the fruit of your labors from the field. So the letter of the law says, okay, we're going to do the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We're going to do the Feast of Harvest, and then we're going to do the Feast of Ingathering. That's what the letter of the law says. Now, I'm going to tell you what the spirit of the law says. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 4. In Galatians 4, verse 9, this is Paul speaking to a church that is starting to go back to the law. A church. It's a mixture of Gentiles and Jews or, you know, uh, Messianic Jews. And then he says in verse nine, but now after you have known God or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years I am afraid for you, 
lest I have labored for you in vain. Paul is saying, why are you going back to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? That's the letter of the law. But the spirit of the law says, hey, the Passover, Jesus Christ is our Passover. The Passover lamb, he's our, you know, receive him. These are hard truths. And Paul even says in verse 16, have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? That's something. Truth isn't easy to receive in the flesh. It's not easy to receive at all. In fact, in the flesh, it's painful to receive. He says in verse 19, my little children for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. I would like to present with you now and I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone for I have doubts about you. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? And then he writes to them about the spirit of the law. What is it in the law? What is it, spiritually speaking, that the law is, you know, uh, 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 casting a shadow upon these truths in the law? So, you know, if in your mind, if, if Satan is whispering in your ear, oh, I'm going to go ahead and, you know, I'm going to go to a, 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 a church or a synagogue and I'm going to partake of the Feast of Unleavened Bread or the Feast of the Harvest or Feast of Engathering or Sukkot. Don't be blind to what the spirit of the law teaches. Don't be deaf to the spirit of the law because it all points to Jesus Christ. Now let's go to verse 17, going back to Exodus 23, verse 17. He says, Three times in the year, all your males shall appear before the Lord God. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice. Notice it belongs to the Lord. The sacrifice that the people are presenting to the Lord, it belongs to him. And, you know, if we were like in days of the law, if we were Jews and, you know, we were in the camp and, you know, what we have to do is take the first fruits of our uh, of our flock and very pure, not like a lamb without blemish and present it to the priest and the priest would examine it. You know, that's why Jesus Christ was so mad when he went went to the temple because the people were giving their lambs and if they were poor, they were giving their turtle doves. You know, and, you know, different levels of poverty, there were statutes to provide for them and provisions for certain levels, economically speaking. And so they would, the, the priest would take a lamb, examine it and say, oh, no, you know, I found a blemish here. We can't use this one. But here I have this flock over here. I'll sell this to you for 500 bucks. And the Lord was mad. Jesus Christ was mad. He says, you've turned my father's house into a den of thieves. And so here the Lord is saying, you shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice. It belongs to the Lord. What's so beautiful about new covenant truths is that God, our father says, you know what? I'm going to give you my lamb, capital L, the lamb of God. I'm going to offer him to you now. You have to receive him. And when you receive him, you know, you're mine. It's so holy. I can't to say it's so holy. I don't have words for it. But he says here, you shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leavened bread, nor 
shall the fat of my sacrifice remain until morning. Remember in Exodus chapter 12, verses 7 through 10, the Lord says, eat all of it, the Passover lamb. Eat it all. Take a male lamb without blemish and, you know, eat it all. Everything. Every, everything. Eat it all. And, you know, it's very deep in application because, you know, when you have the truth of Holy Scripture, there's passages that are going to claw at your heart and be like a knife in your heart. Receive these things. Receive them. I shouldn't say the things. Receive these truths. Because that's how we're changed. That's how we're transformed. He says in verse 19, the first, this is going to be the last verse that we have. I thought we were going to finish the chapter today, but, you know, it's, uh, I didn't really, I, I thought it was 20 minutes, but it hasn't been 20 minutes. So verse 19 says, the first of the first fruits of your land, you shall bring into the house of the Lord, your God. This is, you know, this offering that the Lord is saying, hey, bring your offering. Don't come empty-handed when you come to the Lord. Don't come empty-handed. You say like, man, you know, what do we bring? And I love how Paul says to the church in Rome, in Romans chapter 12, he says, present your body as a living sacrifice unto the Lord. It's not about money. A lot of times you hear pastors, you know, they say, okay, you know, thank you for coming here today, but we're going to pass out the offering plate, you know, and, you know, do all these things. But no, present your body a living sacrifice to the Lord. Say, you know, the Lord doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. He wants your life. He wants you. He wants oneness with you. That's what he wants. All we have to do is let him and say, Lord, I don't have money, but Lord, here. Take, this is this is my heart. I give it to you. It's a holy transaction. I can't, you know, I don't have all these big words, but you know, it's a whole it's so holy. And so he says, The first of your first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. That's the last passage we're gonna look at today, but I'm gonna. This last verse, so this last sentence in this verse, when he says, you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. You know, there are certain studies that say the surrounding peoples, all the surrounding peoples, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, that they were partakers of all these things of the occult and worshiping their other gods. Which, you know... Anthropologically speaking, I could say, oh, okay, yeah, I can buy into that. You know, the surrounding people, they're doing all these things. And the Lord is saying, hey, don't partake of those things. That's one concept. But I'll tell you another concept. And this might be a good time or a bad time to bring this up. And you're going to see it all through our study in the law. Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers. You're going to see how the Lord does not like a mixture he does not like a mixture and you know it blows me away because it's like when i say the lord doesn't like a mixture in this particular passage you have milk a mother's milk as life-giving but then you also have milk as death you know life and death and when I say the Lord doesn't like a mixture, we're going to see passages in Scripture where the Lord doesn't like a mixture of colors. 
the Lord doesn't, and this is in the law, speaking about the law, especially like when the um, clothing is woven together for the priests and for the uh, Levitical priesthood, no mixture of certain colors, no mixture of um, certain types of fabric. And then inside the temple, no mixture of certain kinds of metals, no mixture of certain kinds of elements. The Lord is very, he segregates all these things, these vessels that he uses for worship. And it's a very, I don't know if now is the right time to bring this concept up, but we're going to see it a lot through the law. And this concept of the Lord not liking a mixture, remember 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 says, Be holy, for I am holy. No mixture. No mixture. You say, wow, what is holiness? Read your Bible. That's holiness. Read your Bible, and the Lord will teach you. By the power of the Holy Spirit, He will teach you. In Revelation 3, verse 15, the Lord says, I wish you were hot or cold, but because you are lukewarm which is a mixture of hot and cold, because you are lukewarm, I will vomit you out. There are certain things about the mixture that the Lord does not like. He likes vessels separated unto him for his purpose. We're going to see it in the tabernacle. We're going to see it in the actual temple. And as new covenant believers, I said this is the last verse we're going to look at. But let's look at one quick verse in closing in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, this is Brother Paul speaking to the church in Corinth. Verse 11. Oh, Corinthians, exclamation point. We have spoken openly to you. He, you know, when, when Paul, I don't know, Paul had like a, a, some guys that were with him. Beautiful, beautiful men of God. And they were like going from area to area. He says, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide, is wide open. I love how he says our heart. He didn't say our hearts are wide open. He said, our heart is wide open. You know what that means? This little entourage, this holy entourage that Paul had, they were one. He says, our heart is wide open. Not plural, our heart, singular. They were of one mind, the mind of Christ. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Now I return for the same. He says, now in return for the same, I speak as to children. That's why I say Paul wouldn't be well received in today's culture. You know, you could be a a 50-year-old male or a 50-year-old female. It's like, man, who's this guy telling me I'm a baby? I don't like it. He's offending me. I don't like him. You know, I'm going to go to this other church. I can't say names anymore because of the podcast. (laughs) Maybe I will, you know. But he says, now in return for the same... I speak as to children. You know, Paul wouldn't be well received today. This guy is calling me a baby? No, your behavior testifies of your youth. Your behavior testifies. He says, you also be open. He says, we've been open to you. You also be open. Verse 14. 
Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? Remember, Old Testament, this little mixture. He's speaking about another mixture here. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness? You know, as Christians, we're a people of the light. And I'm going to go to a strip club. I'm going to go and stick a needle in my arm, go hang out with my friends and stick a needle in my arm. I'm going to go get drunk and, you know, do all these things. And, you know, it's marijuana, all these things. Oh, it's legal now. It's legal now. It's okay. I don't, that's stupid. That's the argument of fools. What communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial, another name for Satan? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? That's why Paul says, you know, don't be unequally yoked. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Remember, the Lord is a, a jealous God. Old Testament, the Lord is a jealous God. New Testament, the Lord is a jealous God. He has never changed. It's culture that changes. Oh, God, God will be okay. God will be okay, you know, with this sexual activity. God will be okay with a needle in my arm. God will be okay if I worship Buddha. God will be okay if I worship Muhammad. No, God will be okay with my yoga practice. You know, doing the sun worship, sun salutation, worshiping the sun. God's okay with it. No big deal. Look, I'm just stretching. It's for my body. My doctor says it's okay. Read the Bible. If it's about stretching, go stretch. You don't have to worship the sun. It's evil in the eyes of the Lord. That's too hardcore. What are you talking about? Read uh, Ezekiel chapter 8. You'll see what I'm talking about. Worshiping the sun. He says in verse 17, Therefore, come out from among them and be separate. Separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So this concept of mixture. The Lord doesn't like a mixture in the Old Testament, and we're going to see that a lot in the law, especially when it comes to the priests, when it comes to the vessels that the Lord uses in, in, in worship in the, in the tabernacle. And you're going to see the Lord segregates all these things very precise. That's why, like, uh, uh, um, what's his name? Uzzah. He died. Remember the, the ark was started to tip over? And then he, he didn't want it to tip over. He touched it and he died. The Lord took his life because he wasn't following the law. He didn't like that, that mixture of what was against his law. And so he took his life. People are like, man, what did he do? He didn't do anything. He was just trying to help. Well, that's when we take our emotions into play. No, but God is a just God. A just God. Don't have this mixture. You say like, wow, I'm going to go and, you know, try and bring these people to Christ. I'm going to, you know, if you're going to be a fisher of men, a fisher of women, young and old, you know what I say? Be firmly planted on the foundation, solid rock. Be firmly, firmly planted and then be a fisher of men. It's like, you know, you take a five-year-old girl, you're going to take her, you know, fishing for tuna. No, it's stupid. 
because she's going to catch a tuna and then all of a sudden fly right off the boat. But no, to say, okay, you know, little five-year-old girl, walk with me. Walk with me. Let's study the Bible. Let's read the Bible. And you're going to grow. And your legs are going to get strong. Your back is going to get strong. Your shoulders, your arms. And then, man, you know, we're going to go fishing for whales. But not yet. You have to grow and, and mature and grow in Christ. You see how the Lord doesn't like a mixture. Old Testament, New Testament. He doesn't like a mixture. He's the one who says, be holy for I am holy. Allow the Lord to do his work in your life. So we're going to end our study here.